0: Hey folks, I am super excited to tell you a bit about today's new sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, MMC hosts different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Bill Frizzell, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Julian Lodge, Mark Ribot, Wayne Krantz, O'Teal Burbridge, the Mel Carton Kids, and so many more. At an event like Alternative Guitar Summit Camp happening this August, you can expect in-depth workshops with guitar masters, once in a lifetime performances, the opportunity to play alongside your favorite musicians, and a lot of fun. You'll leave this event packed full of wisdom and with a whole community of musicians to create with. This all-inclusive week in the Catskills Mountains of upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available. Spots are extremely limited. So visit www.alternativeguitarsummitcamp.com summitcamp.comslash moods to learn more. Osiris Moods and Modes is presented by Osiris Media and made possible thanks to our Patreon community. To support the podcast directly, go to Patreon.com/slash Alex Skolnick. From Brooklyn, New York, this is Moods and Modes. I'm your host, Alex Skolnick. I'm probably best known as a professional guitarist. I'm also a writer, a photographer and someone who occasionally gets told to keep his opinions to himself on Twitter. This podcast will involve music and guitar, but it may take us to some unexpected places as well. So thank you for joining me and let's do this. Previously on Moods and Modes. You were right across a guy night named Nightbob. I know
1: who he is, so Night Bob was his
0: handler,
1: essentially. Yeah. So if he was working, Nightbob would be sitting there. Hey, Nightbob, give he me that 210 soup, you know, whatever he wanted. Right. Night Bob, Night go, Bob oh, was okay. the gear expert. And he, yeah, and he would go out and he would unlock the room and he'd, he'd pull whatever Aunt Walter thought <gasps> that he wanted that day.
0: Moods and Modes, episode 33. This is Alex, and that is a clip from this very podcast back when it was in its infancy two years ago. Hard to believe. The Walter being discussed is, of course, the late great co-founder of Steely Dan, along with Donald Fagan, Walter Becker. And if you'll recall, I had purchased an amp from Retrofet, a fine vintage guitar shop in Brooklyn, New York. And this amp's previous owner was, yes, Walter Becker. Let's hear a little bit more of that clip. I need to meet him at some point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, worth it.
1: His real name is, is Polish and it's very convoluted. Yeah. So he's yeah. never used it for anything. Yeah. Why? He said nobody
0: wants to hear my real name.
1: <laughs> That's everybody perfect. Perfect. just knows it as high,
0: Bob. That just adds to the, yeah. the legend. All right. So just to clarify a bit, right? Bob's real name is Zikowski, C Z A Y Kowski. And there's another part of that episode where it talks about how he got his name. He used to work in a recording studio in the 70s, and there were two Bobs, one that worked in the day and one that worked at night. So you would call up, and they would ask, do you want to speak to Day Bob or Night Bob? And he's always been Night Bob so we're finally doing our night bob episode this took a long time to get together coincidentally the clips you heard are from exactly two years ago september 2020 and as i speak to you it is september of 2022 and in an even spookier coincidence that was episode six this is episode 33 three and three make six Ooh, spooky Hey, Alex, how are you? Nice, Bob. (laughs) And that was basically the ending of episode six. I managed to track down the mysterious Night Bob, thanks to a mutual friend in the music industry, and we agreed to meet at a later point. So why did it take us so long to finally get together? Well, I don't need to explain to you that the years 2020 and 2021 were disruptive, to say the least. And then by this year, 2022, uh, I'd started touring again, He'd started working again, and uh, it got crazy. Anyway, we finally managed to get together earlier this summer when I was in between tours, and we met up at a place called the Ear Inn, which is considered New York's oldest pub. It's been around since the 1800s, and some say it's haunted. And like Bob himself, it has an unusual name with a funny backstory. So just above the entrance to this place is something you could picture in any big city, an old neon sign reading bar. The only thing is that on the right side of the letter B, the lights are burned out, so it looks like ear. Long story short, they never fixed the sign, and everybody just started calling it ear. So I must give the disclaimer that while the ear-in has a lot of character and is in some ways the perfect setting for my meeting with Nightbob, it is also very noisy. Now, on the one hand, we're in a back room away from most of the patrons, which is good. However, you can still hear orders being taken. The phone is ringing. There's a hand dryer that keeps going off. This will be the noisiest episode of this podcast. However, I figured it was better to meet Bob in an environment where he was really comfortable and we could get to know each other. Anyway, I think the conversation is pretty clear despite the noise. I know our friends at Osiris Media will do a good job cleaning it up. I have new appreciation for what they do, having heard that early episode, episode six, which was pre Osiris. The quality has gotten much better. Thank you, guys. And uh, just a final note, I'm going to be leaving this conversation as is. I'm not going to have the usual extracurricular production and not much commentary. Now, the reason I'm doing this episode kind of minimalist compared to the others is that I am on the road. And if you've heard previous episodes where I talked about the challenges of recording the podcast while touring, I mentioned that it is very difficult to find a quiet spot where I can talk to you like I am doing now now. Today, I have a day off, but there aren't many days off coming up, and I want to get this episode finished and work on the next one, which is going to be pretty exciting. So before we get to our conversation, let me just give you a quick crash course on Night Bob. Ask not what Night Bob has done. Ask what hasn't he done. So in addition to Walter Becker, for whom he was the right-hand man, Artists that Night Bob has worked with include Iggy Pop and the Stooges in their early days, the New York Dolls, Aerosmith in the 70s and their 80s resurrection, Ace Fraley, of course, Steely Dan. Now, throughout Night Bob's career, he has had many positions. He's been a front of house engineer, he has been an in studio engineer, he has been a road manager, he has been a guitar tech, he has been a guitar builder, an amp repair guy, you name it. It If there's a job in the music industry night bob has done it and can do it so we mostly talk about walter becker because that's most of where my interest was i'm sure we'll talk to him again and get some more stories but for now here is my conversation at the ear in with the one the only night bob Do you have a big collection? Yeah, I got too many guitars. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> How many do you think you have?
1: Over 100. Damn. That's a collection. Yeah. A lot of them are experimental, homemade. Uh-huh. I was a Gibson guy for a long time, so I have like a, you know, a 61, ST Junior, 1P90, the Firebird, 58, ES-225, Blonde. the wow. With a Big Speed, 2P90, you know. The thing is, is I mean, I bought them for $100, right? Right. So so The idea of getting rid of them, I mean, in tough times, I had to part with stuff, you know, but certain ones I never did. Larry Friedman used to say, there's two reasons a musician sells a guitar. Well,
0: one's obvious. He needed the money. The cash, yeah.
1: Which number two, he needed the money. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) right. I'll be here all week, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, I got gifted a bunch of guitars, I mean, I, I have six Becker guitars. Yeah. So we, which ones do you have? I built them on 17 guitars. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we had this project, and when he wasn't on the road, got really interested, I guess, how, how parts and body woods and necks all influenced the final tone of the guitar. Hmm. Right? so we started doing these by necks and bodies and play mix and match so we had guitars here show made a Kalina we had Mahogamy Strat and after a year of this we came back to the fact that Leo Fender had it right from the get go he got it right the first because, time yeah. you know
0: Brad Tulinski once said that said, at the NAMM show just, it's tough for guitar manufacturers you know it's when I they, they really got it right the first time
1: Mm-hmm. He also liked the fact that he started getting into the small builder thing. But like, we were able to, um, he's able to call somebody up and get him on the phone. Can't do that at Fender. No, or Gibson, or uh, Gibson uh, or any of the big companies.
0: Right. Yeah, it's like calling like, Citibank.
1: Right. And he could get the guy who shaped the necks. We did a lot of stuff with with Chio Han. I think he had more Han guitars than anything else. I'm not familiar with. Yeah, he's up to Newburgh. You know, he built Telecasters, Stratcasters, and then he started branching off. And he, there's actually a guitar that he has that the body shape was uh, came from discussions he had with uh, Becker. Oh, okay. With a guitar, it's more shaped like an Epiphone Solidbody. This is how you tell great guitars. You never see them come up for share. Right. Very hard to find. If if you do, it's ones and twos. You, you know what I mean? It's like, ooh, look, two years yeah. right, use And how we found this out was that Walter sometimes could be really impatient. Uh-huh. So if he said, like, well, I want to build you a guitar, I'll have it for you in three months. He'd say, like, find me a used one online. It's called have habit today. He used to tell these builders, I'd say, I want to come down and show something? Be prepared to sell whatever you bring. Okay. Because you will just buy it.
0: Yeah. He just, he had the means to, to well,
1: just... He had the means, but he also, he felt like he was helping these guys out. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, you you know, mean like, the small builders? Yeah. I mean, like, there was one time Hans brought eight guitars The Capitol Theater. In right? Porchester? Yeah. 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 Right? And, and, um, <laughs> and uh, at the end of a long sound check, he goes... To make a decision? He goes, Yeah, I'm taking them all. He goes but then Han goes but 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 and goes no butt. I'm taking them all, but i just get, ah, ah, get that's a total assembly. How do you want it? Do you want ah, ah, would you prefer a credit card, bank transfer, cash money? Yeah, what, do cash. Yeah. what do you want? He must have been in shock. He was in shock. You know, because, somebody else is considering Well one was actually belonged to Mike Capolongo. I know a Jim couple. Jim, Jim couple.
0: Oh yeah, you're kidding, I know him. That belongs
1: to this guy. <laughs> so it was <laughs> in the process for Jim? <laughs> I don't think he ever knew. Oh really? Sorry Jim. <laughs> Han's gonna call him, you yeah. have to tell that hey, story. Hey, what, what the hell? <laughs> it's just funny, you know I mean? It's better to come down empty-handed right. and just hang, right. than if you bring something and say it's for somebody else. Or, yeah. Then it becomes a battle. He liked something, he wanted to purchase it, there. Yeah. There were times I said, don't buy that. Don't buy it. He goes, why not? I go, A's, there's a lot of them. It's a little overpriced. I go, and like a lot of guitars, it has a flip at the end of the fingerboard. So you really have to pull those frets out and plane the fingerboard down from about the 15th to the 21st fret. And uh, he goes, we have the technology to do that, don't we? I went, like, yes, we do. <laughs> he goes, I'm buying it. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> he bought amps that were missing parts just because he liked the salesperson and he wanted to uh, help them out. Right. I was like, really? That's like, you know, but he wasn't silly either. I mean, like, like he was, uh, they all had a basis in reality, you know, but like unoriginal, uh, like, repainting guitars? Meaningless to him. You know, recovered yeah. amps, changed speakers, didn't matter. You know, I mean, if he liked what he heard, yeah. he wa- you know, wanted to add it to the arsenal. Yeah, like, so not,
0: you, you were really like the gear advisor.
1: No, not to the you. Well, he knew what he liked,
0: but he
1: wouldn't he listen. bring you
0: along on these uh, oh, yeah. excursions? That's what the RetroFret guys were talking. You oh know, yeah. Hey, we would come in and oh we, yeah. We knew it was gonna, he was gonna be there for a while, we'd right. set him up, uh, you were right there,
1: kinda I was like the in between guy. and It's like we would show up usually about fifteen minutes before closing. Of course. I right. <laughs> would go, This is how it's gonna play, how it plays out. This could be a thousand dollars sale. This could be a fifteen thousand dollar sale, maybe even more. I go, I guarantee he will buy something because he appreciates people, you yeah. know, and the fact that the door's closed, there's no people asking him what's Donald Fagan really like, exactly, or, you know, yeah. and, and that. And yeah, what did you use? Uh, did that, man, you know, he would nuts. just, no. Would he, go nuts. He not really go nuts. He would just say, did you like the song? Yeah. And did you like, you know, the sound? And they go, oh yeah. He goes like, that's exactly. me. You know, yeah. that is like, you'll never get that sound because that's me or that's the we, you know, Larry Carlton or something like mm-hmm. that. It's only, you know, it's the personal, you know, your your head, your heart, your fingers, your hand, the amp. How do you feel? Blah yeah. blah blah. You know, it's like play music. Mm-hmm. Like he was good. Game- he play all the time. It's unbelievable. New judges.
0: Well, I saw him one time. It was uh, at Beacon. Uh huh. Um, I think it was in the mid to late 2000s,
1: uh-huh.
0: so around 2010, I think. Okay. The other guitar player was John Harrington. John's been there a
1: long time ago. Yeah,
0: he was great, but yeah. I thought all the, yeah his playing, he, to me, he stole the show. I just loved what he played and
1: his lines and his tone. Mm-hmm. His tone was off the uh, hook. When I came in, he had, uh, he had some uh, boogies, some uh, stars. Right, He had uh, a bunch of uh, Wagner 100 watt heads. So yeah. I was like, what are you doing with a 100 watt head? Sounds great. I go, you have it on one. <laughs> you know? It, it's sort of like, this is like a Ferrari no. in first gear. You know, no. you're just puttering around the block. You know? yeah. This would come to bite me on the ass later on, because like you when know, we started buying high lots, even Walter Becker could be affected this way. We were hanging in uh, Chicago, right? right? right. And oh, he I called sure me up and he goes, you've got to come over to my room. you got to explain something. I go over and he's watching uh, The Who, Live at the Isle of Wight. Huh? And there's like, that sound. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God. it's a 100 high watt." He goes, what? what kind of pedal? I go, there's a fuzz box, and you'll know when you steps on that because the volume will go down. Huh. Right? Go, That's just the way it sounds. It's turned up. Of course, the next day we had to go out and buy a high-watt, 100-watt stat. Were they hard to find? Not in Chicago. Yeah, I don't know a lot of people that
0: like them. Obviously, Pete Townsend is most associated with those, but...
1: They have to be turned up, you know, and nowadays, you know, you're not playing festivals or arenas. Right. You know, people are playing, you know, Bowery Electric, they're playing, you know, you can't use a 100-watt high-watt. Did he stick with the high-watt? No, he came and went. We used to use it, uh, we had it in the corner of the stage, 100 watts stack, right? And it was like, it was only used on Reeling in the Years. Like, if you were, it were on stage right at that point, first of all, the only people who would be there if you weren't employed by the band would be like the union guys getting ready to, stagehand guys, and want you to took the brunt of this. We'd be standing there and they're... Dave would hand him the guitar, he'd go out, and we both put on hearing protectors, the kind of jet guys wear. everybody looked at this it, it's weird, because that high-watt stack was in a corner back then. Right. right. Right, and boy oh boy, those union guys would jump like to the sheet and wear a that?" It was loud. There's this place in San Diego, this, uh, on a boat basis. Humphreys by the sea, they call it, right? But you'd also have the boat people who would come over in their little boats so they could sure. listen for free during yeah. the sound check. At one point, they were going like, are we covered? I go, well, yeah, except for the boat people. He goes, boat people? I go, yeah, see over there? He goes, well, all these little dinghies and, and boats. Right, sailboats and
0: stuff. He goes,
1: well, we should have an amp for them, shouldn't we? Oh. Right, so we had this amp. Yeah. It would scatter the boat people. It That's so funny. Aimed by that, and, you know. You know, I think of
0: loud bands, right? Yeah, yeah I think of the Who, Van Halen, <laughs> hard rock bands. Healy Down is just, yeah, it's not something yeah. you think
1: of when you think of like the flaring to, volume. We, it used to be within the 30 watt rule. Yeah. So it really shouldn't have any amps higher than 30 watts. Hmm. But then he'd have multiples of that. I mean, we had some, some satellite amps that were like, a, you know, EL84 amps, you know, we had... Yeah, he had a thing for EL-84 tubes, power tubes. Yeah. You know, we had a Sur we had plenty of um, satellites, we had Dr. Z's, you know, things would come up. He, he bought, he had a high watt. Uh, it was the oldest high watt I've ever seen in the United right? States, right? He bought that, he'd have it on there, he'd, he'd have it on like, he, we had this like, it was like a cable amp Because all the cabinets were remote. the most, yeah. the cabinets weren't live on stage. They Seven. were off on a wing. Really? Oh yeah. He didn't use monitors. Yeah. He would listen to the room,
0: right? And uh, and I'm sure it was better for the rest of the band on stage. Oh, it's definitely
1: it was better have, for everybody. They would have gotten blasted out. kept kept hangers on for, uh, away from stage, right? Nobody oh, went over that. there. And oh, yeah. And they were aimed. They were on their almost on their backs, right there. Wow. Right, so no bleed in, into the house. There were 2x12s and 4x12s, depending on the amp head. That's one way to clear the side of the stage. Yeah. Yeah. They were were only on one at a time. Uh, I mean, it depended on on what he was thinking. At one point we had an elaborate switching setup to switch between these. Uh Then he decided that, that he felt he could hear some kind of loading. Yeah. Going on, so what he had, he would just take, it, he'd unplug from one amp, walk over, unplug, you know, plug into another when they were all on. Wow. Right. So they'd be, you know, and just plug into another one. And how many uh, guitars would you bring on? About it? forty, but to be honest. He played, you know, when he found a guitar that worked for him for a certain song or two, he would stick with it. They were go-to guitars. And every once in a while, just to break the monotony, you know, playing the same song, his setless he would pull something else out. He had no problem. Like, oh, bad choice. I'm pulling the guitar. Go over and get something else. In the middle of a. In the middle of a song. Yeah. You know, or go over and say, "Hey, Dave, where is my where is my insert oblique amp?" You know, it's in the truck. Get a couple of stagehands and go get it. Go get the dressing room amp. Right. Was, you know. At one point, we had two texts because it became the request things were. were A little bit, you know. I mean, I listen. I know the time I spent. I hear differently from hanging out (coughs) and listening to things with him. Yeah. You know, because his focus on, you know, because I'd ask him, well, what are you hearing that I'm not hearing? You know, and he he would say, you know, he would, you know, say, well, I'm hearing this and that. What the hell is this? Wow. So two texts for Walter. Was that? Most of the time, or was that just later on? Most of the time. Yeah, wow. There was a lot of gear.
0: Yeah.
1: And a lot of changes going on.
0: that. So if you had, had to pick the like two guitars that he used the most, do you remember what those were? Red Han
1: Strat. The Strat that I built for him, it was hardtail. It had three sex coil pickups. Ash body. Where's that guitar? Somebody bought it paid a lot of money for it too. Yeah. I don't know, it goes wrong. We're in Seattle. Emerald City guitars. Oh, I know that. Yeah. Nice job. I almost bought a guitar there. Jay's a great guy. His son's a great guy. The yeah. a nice shop, right? So he's like, at one point he's going to buy a refinished 50s Telecaster. I'm like, well, he changed his mind. He's got this Andy from the uh, police.
0: Yeah. Andy um, Summers. Andy
1: Summers comes with a
0: book of photographs. So you're talking about the... Andy, Because Andy
1: Summers is a great photographer. Right, so he, has a book, he comes with a book of photographs. Yeah, and comes I've, the I've seen page, the right. I And He's going, what do you think? And I go, you'll we'll never get your money out of that. Huh. Like $5,800. He goes, I can buy whatever I want. I go, I'm just telling you <laughs> that if you... When, when you tire of this, and you will tire of this, you will not be able to get your money. That became a challenge. Oh, yeah, is that right? How so? <laughs> so, at one point, he got into Hoover Guitars. Right, Nick Hoover. Hoover, German builder. Yeah, not familiar. The only place that he had, like, three, maybe four. But like, he goes, there's a Nick Hoover guitar down at Rudy's. I'm like, okay. <laughs> he goes, I'm going to trade in my... Andy Summers, Custom Shop Telecaster, and I was like, good luck. He goes, don't be negative, right, so I'm, <laughs> like, I'm like, I go, look, I know Rudy a long time, yeah. So we go down there, he right, plays the guitar and all this, and he goes, I want to do it, I want to trade some, I want to trade a Custom Shop guitar in towards this. Right. Bob, go get it. So I go get it out of the car. Right. He brings it in, looks at it. So the current routes Yeah, yeah the current, current routes, route right? And he goes, I'll give you two grand in trade, right? That's he turns to me and he goes, don't say a fucking ah, word. Ah, right? I'm like, okay, <laughs> don't say I told you just so. Just yeah. put it put it in the car. Yeah, right. And put it in the car. Right? And the car, and we, needless to say, the deal didn't go down. Right? Ah. We were, he was not happy so we're in the car and we're going back to 25th street where the studio was and it was silent right uh, and it was ah, just like, ah, ah. and he goes and he goes we never go into that store again <laughs> <laughs> what happened to that guitar was he consigned it because uh, he couldn't he's one of these guys he didn't like to lose you know i think he consigned it that, i think that was a tactical error on movies Part. You should have given them a Yeah, gift. a little <laughs>
0: better
1: deal. Spent a lot of money at Ruben. Oh, yeah, sure. A lot of money. I can imagine. Uh, yeah. He bought a D'Angelico. Right? He bought, you know. And it, it was like, see, if I was that guy, I would say, like, how much you pay you? Right. He said, 55. I go, okay. Let's do 55. Yeah, let's let's come close close to it. Because he would have been so happy if he people, he would have bought three other guitars. But you, you know, I understand someone who's got a brick and mortar store. Right? Because that's a lot different than someone that's sitting in their house on the internet putting up pictures of an instrument. You're not, you know what I mean? You don't have street traffic and all that. You know, it was just funny. A lot of guitar dealers, they, you know, that's the way their mind works. Right. You know, of what what they would offer because then they could sell it for. I mean you wholesale you know if you're wholesaling instruments, you know, uh, you, know you 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 pay this and you wanna pay you wanna get a certain percentage over that. Right? Yeah. So he wanted I don't know what he thought he could get for it or whatever, but, but that that's the dynamic the way, you know, when when instruments get this expensive, yeah. it stops being fun. You know, cause back in the day, man, you, I mean, I bought a 60 strat for 100 bucks. A guy around the corner from where I grew up in Kearney, New Jersey, like, at the same time, I think I got a uh, copy of Guitar Player, and it had uh, Jerry Garcia on the cover playing the strat. It had this a black strat? No, a natural. Oh, because back then, it was like, oh, the guitar will breathe more if you take the finish off. Uh, so I was like, okay, right, no just looking at that picture and how it looked, nice it body and all that. I was like, nice. oh, yeah. I want to be like Jerry, right? So I went to my father and I said, how do I get this paint off of this guitar? And he told me how to do it, right? And I got some zip strip and scraper, right? Took the guitar apart, and stripped the body off, right? put some of this shit, this chemical stuff in it. I was like, wow, this stuff is eating my brain. And I remember scraping the black off and underneath was seafoam green, uh-huh. right? And I was like, oh, that's even worse than black. Right, right. More junk, right? I get down, I get the, shit, the paint off the guitar. guitar. I found out later the guitar is made of alder. Alder, yeah. Yeah, which doesn't have much grain. Yeah. So now my black guitar was brown, mm. right? And it was like brown was like the worst thing it could be. So I sold it to another guitar player for 150 bucks. Right, strip, finish, and all. I always wanted a Strat. So, so what what it period of time was that? I uh, no, not 71, 72. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't much information, yeah. you know, when you just... So was it an early
0: Strat? You were...
1: That was a real 60 Strat. Yeah. You know, I mean, like... Yeah.
0: Yeah, now it oh, is, you'd probably fetch
1: a fortune. Well now it would be, that guitar now would probably be $30,000. Okay. And I wasn't, nobody thought in those terms. No one ever thought that they would ever, you know, you pay more than a thousand dollars. I remember okay. I bought a Rickenbacker 12 string for $580, yeah. brand new. And that was with a deal, you know, with like 30%, 25% off this price, right? I was like, oh my God, this is the most expensive thing out that I've ever purchased. You know, but now sorry, I can't conceive of well, first of all I've had all those guitars.
0: Yeah. You know?
1: And but uh, if you're gonna play music you can really, you know it's the point, you know, it's like one thing is to collect and I understand that thing, yeah, but yeah. if you if you wanna make music you can only play one at a time. You can only play one at a time, one. yeah. And just the physical act of going to play somewhere. Like to a rehearsal place or, you know, to do a show. God forbid. You know, I mean that you would, you know, all of a sudden you're carrying like, you know, it's like you got a guitar and a gig bag maybe a pedal board, and you all of a sudden you're going. It's a lot of shit to be, you know. Oh, I'm going to bring a second guitar. Right. You know, it's like no, you're not going to bring a second guitar. You'd have a hard time getting there out of a cab.
0: Right.
1: And in New York, you're moving. You're a walking target. And really? especially,
0: you know, a guitar that costs as much as the down payment of a um, house. Yeah. Right. Or one now, you know, they, some of them cost as, yeah. <laughs> as much as some of So home. now you want to get,
1: you know, I mean, it's like you want a guitar that's stable, will stay in tune, you know, and then it's like, will do the job for you, you know. You have yeah to be able to play through whatever... You know how it is nowadays, man. It's like everybody's got backline lines yeah, at clubs. Because yeah. no one wants to be dragging amps up and down stairs, right? And too loud yeah. or whatever. You know? So sort of like the whole, I mean, there's a whole legion of bands uh, who don't play out. Right. Right. And in fact, I'm working uh, on that with a friend of mine about a documentary about bands. Like there's bands that have no ambition uh, to makes this a business and they play for the joy of playing music. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And like they, they they, try playing out and they realize it's a lot of work. The, they do the music because it's just for you know, the joy of it. The joy of making music. Yeah. And they look right? forward to playing on Monday and they pick real, the song, I mean, like, when I first heard them play, I was like, they're called Inner Sanctum. Oh, okay. Right? And yeah. it's like, I go, man, this sounds like a, like a band full of record collectors. And they went yeah. like, well, yeah. Yeah, that's what we are, you know. I mean, they go from doing kink songs to, you know, uh, to Beatles songs, to a Bob Dylan song, to, you know, they just pick these things. You yeah, know, it, it so. is
0: hard. I can't imagine starting
1: out now. No, it it's- it'd be impossible.
0: It's time for a quick break on the half hour, as we often do. We're going to keep this one really short. There really isn't much to announce. Yes, I'm on tour. All the dates are easy to find. And I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Night Bob. Again, please excuse the audio quality. I know it's not the best. Then again, it kind of adds to the character of the whole thing. And I had a really fun time with this conversation. So coming up, uh, here's a great story. About Aerosmith and Run DMC. And then a look through the official catalog from the Walter Becker estate sale, which includes the amp that now belongs to yours truly. And how much gear did he have? And how much did his wife know about? It's kind of interesting. That's coming up. Here's Night Bob.
1: I remember this moment when my father said to me, he goes, how much money did you make this weekend? And I said, two hundred and twenty five bucks this is like 1967 yeah. oh,
0: back then,
1: that's a- right he says I'm working on the guidance system for the lunar landing module and after taxes I didn't make that much money <laughs> maybe this music thing is not it's such really a bad cool. deal yeah it's true you know I mean why well, I, when I started I, I still wanted to be a professional guitar player when I started doing that rehearsal stuff uh-huh. and boy oh boy was in two weeks I realized that a, I wasn't as good as I thought I was.
0: Mm.
1: And that it was highly competitive. It is. And there's a big luck factor. Every one of those bands I worked for, if you were chatting about something, they'd all say how, you know, talent is like a portion of it. Marketing is another thing. You know, be nice to people. That's such a part you know, Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's be a big factor of just... Right place, right time. Yeah. Lucky son of a bitch was there. You know, things lined up. What so, you, yeah. what you do, and what, what people wanted, yeah. line up at that time. You always had the plan to play. But, I can, and I, I continued play. pursuing that for easily into into the 80s until finally I was just like, you know what?
0: Yeah.
1: It's a kids. You know, it's like it's a business devours the young. Right. Yeah. It's a shitty business. Yeah. You know, you, it, it's hard to make money, yeah. it's hard to survive. You know, I mean, they, and everybody wants a piece of you, yeah. and everybody takes a piece of you. You know, and it just so. Sort of, yeah. you know, and I don't get no respect. Yeah. You know, I mean, no, it's funny because like after I did that Emerson, Lake and Palmer tour, I had a whole different view. You know, for, like I was blown away. I, you know, when you used go out and you see a band, you know, you think that like. Wow, what a cool experience! Like yeah. when you tour with a band, you realize that hey, they're playing the same set every night. For some reason in your mind, you think that every set, every every time a band played, they changed their set. No, that yeah. doesn't. No, yeah. you're
0: just a concert goer, that's
1: yeah. how it's. You, you think like, oh, yeah. they're just pulling rabbits out yeah. of a hat. You know, it's yeah. like, Oh, I could and never. The things do they this.
0: said that night, they didn't yeah. say that to anybody. No, it was
1: all every show was yeah. unique. Yeah. No. You learn about stage oh, you yeah. oh, learn about yeah. set lists. It Became like the oh, then you know. So. so I, you know, I guess the worst part is that now that culturally music is so low on, uh, yeah, like recorded music is the priority is, list. It's at its lowest profile ever. Uh, you, know, yeah. you make yeah. more. You can make more money selling a, a Alex coffee cup right. than you can from selling an EP five songs. So yeah. Unless you luck out and get into a movie or a TV commercial or, or something like that. you Because know? people, you now have uh, several generations of, of people who love music who just uh, you know, think that well, I can pay $15 a month to Spotify. And, yeah. You know?
0: That's why Yeah, it really has to be
1: about the love of doing the music. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, it's like i just, you know, and the bands that have been doing it for a while, you know, as they stop, yeah, because they all will stop at one point. You know, the, it's like Paul McCartney's 80 years old. Yeah, right. You know, right. where are the new fans?
0: I do think like Aerosmith is still going, still like among the biggest bands because there really hasn't been that
1: many. Well, well, you know, it is too the, the ambition factor in that band.
0: Yeah. you
1: know, to compete. And then came the second coming era. Yeah. You, know, so
0: you,
1: was, you were with them that
0: first
1: stage, uh, I think I was in right? the 70s and the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I helped put them together with Run DMC. Oh, that's such, that's one of
0: my favorite
1: moments. And, and that was a, com- you know, I ran into to Rick Rubens in a record store because there used to be this record store on H Street in New York. It was also like a rock and roll memorabilia store. This is all free internet. That's where you went to yeah. read the English papers or see sure. the English magazines or buy an import album or something like that. I remember going in there and the guy, Scott Koenig, who was running uh, the record section in the store, right? Yeah, uh, he, he wound up going on to manage a lot of bands. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. he passed away about six, seven months ago. Doing the Scott, COVID. He even worked for Slayer. Yeah, uh-huh. And uh, so Ruben was there and he go, and I remember, I remember this, uh, he was going like, well, you know, he goes, uh, Hey, it's my pal Rick, hey Rick, how you doing? He goes, he's been trying to get in touch with Aerosmith. And he goes, Rick, tell him the story. And he said, like, listen, you know, he goes, I'm working with this, this hip hop act. And we are like, yeah, I know what hip hop is because, you know, at one point, um, I went out and I was doing, uh, me and Dave Rule uh, were out doing Evelyn Champagne thing. Okay. Early 80s. Three week residency at Disneyland here so in the same yeah. hotel, drive to Hollywood, yeah. after shows, go to Hollywood. We had a truck, we drive to Hollywood, do the nice. Hollywood thing. Like, I saw early, the early hip hop stuff. Like, Ruben says that this act I'm doing, this hip hop act on DMC, that they've been using an Aerosmith yeah. track. The rap over. And I was like, really? And then and when you begin to think about it, and you go, how, how Walk This Way and hip hop have a certain kind of, the way Tyler scats over it, Absolutely. Luke, right? and, and, and then Ruby says to me, he goes, the funny thing is, he goes like, you know, they carry their records, they vinyl, and they carry their records away around in, in milk crates. Yeah. And he goes, there's no, it doesn't say Aerosmith on the front of that record. And the spine of the record was worn down, and uh-huh. all they could see was Toys in the Attic. Uh-huh. So they were going, we should hook up with that Toys in the Attic band. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> wow! So I thought that was amusing. Right? That's and, really uh, funny. Yeah, he's, I, he's talked been, about that. Before. Yeah, and I, I go, go
0: At the very beginning
1: of it, st- 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 yeah. if you just play that. <laughs> so he goes, yeah, I've been reaching out to them, but I can't get through. And I go, what's this? And I called Joe up. Right? And, I, and I was like hey so listen, I'm i here hanging with this guy and, you know record producer he's got this hip hop thing going and Joe goes I think I know hip hop is like blondie right I don't, <laughs> well not, not really, quite. not quite and I go I don't like they was on the phone and, and they're like come on you're really into this and Joe goes is there any money in this and I went yeah don't oh, yeah. be so much understate I'm doing just well Great. you need anything thank else? You. I think I'm good, good. yeah thank yeah.
0: you thank sure. a friend of mine is a director he knew Rick Rubin at NYU right Adam Dubin he actually had assisted with the oh Adam. Adam you know Adam? oh yeah oh what a small world so we become very good friends. He's in my neighborhood. He worked on Who's DC That Comedian? Boys.
1: He works with.
0: Uh, oh, uh, Pat Nolan. Uh, no, Pat Nolan. Louis um, Black.
1: Uh, Louis Black. Lewis Black yeah. right. Turns out Louis Black is a big Steely Dan fan. Oh. And okay. Steely Dan is a giant Louis Black fan. Wow. One of my I said like I gotta, I gotta bring this together. Never happened. though. They, it was like he was we never
0: intersected. And I'm going to jump in for just a moment to help shed some light on this next segment. Night Bob was kind enough to bring along a giant book. It's like a coffee table book meets a phone book. And it is the catalog of the Walter Becker estate sale. It's his only copy. He let me take it home. So I have it on loan. I've since purchased one of my own, but it is really cool. It's got all of Walter Becker's guitars, his amps, including the one I bought, the 1960 Fender Super other gear and all of this gear was stored at sir and sir is an instrument rental slash storage slash rehearsal facility in all the big music cities new york la nashville etc and walter had a lot of gear stored there as you'll hear about
1: personally i told her that blowing it all out at once was a bad idea Uh uh-huh but she just wanted out of her life you know, cause, I mean, it was 650 guitars. Oh my goodness. 360 amplifiers. Wow. 2,300 effects. Wow. Yeah. The shit, You know, I was going like, if I were you, you know, I wouldn't do all of them. You know, I'd, I'd do an auction on the... Uh, You know, the stage guitars. The stage guitars and the guitars on albums would bring the most amount of money. But she just wanted it all. She wanted it all gone. All gone. She had no idea. She had no idea there was this much stuff. Because he forbid her to go down to SIR. Because <laughs> at one point we were going to document the guitars, right? Well, I'll come down and photograph. He was like, no. Oh, yeah? She would have lost her mind if she knew yeah, how did. much shit there was. Like, she went, at one point she goes, I, I want to go down to SIR and see what was going on. Yeah. So we go. All so, these photos so, are
0: incredible.
1: So we go down and I show her the studio room. Right, she was impressed. She goes, is that it? I go, no, there's six more lockers. She Uh, goes, uh, uh, six more? And I go, yeah, two of them are just amps. Wow, wow. Boy, he had a lot of stuff.
0: This is a just a great book, right? Just a great book. It's
1: hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. Pawn shop special. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's. I think this, I believe, was done by Ian Anderson. Ian Anderson. Yeah. yeah. These are all Ian Anderson guitars. No relation to Jethro Toll. No, not at, all. not at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> I never heard of the builder. Ian. He's a San Diego builder. He liked him, you know. He built yeah. him some strats and tellies. and he really liked that that one. That's oh. like a bound, uh, you know, like a Telecaster Les Paul thing. Wow! Wraparound tailpiece, two humbuckers. Yeah, there's
0: guitar shapes here. I've never seen. Oh yeah. So mm-hmm. he, he seemed to really like
1: replicas. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why should Yeah. Uh, why? Yeah. Why would I? Tele replica. Why would I spend three hundred thousand dollars on Les fall when you can get me a replica for seven grand? Yeah. This just is good. That's great. Life. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: A lot of these old amps. Well, you love them. Yeah. So. And we, you know, if they, you know, you, you know who Matt Wells is. No. He's an amp technician. We uh, sent it all this. He he was in charge of maintenance. All this stuff. Send it to Matt Wells. <laughs> some talk, yeah. So since this book is so overwhelming, i to let you take it home. Oh, are you sure? Yeah, you can take it home. Which well, I will need it back at yeah, one point, but it, I'm not going to need it back for a while.
0: Okay, that'd be great. You know, I mean, i say
1: there's a lot of info in there that you, you know, it's like it's a good book, and when there's nothing good on TV, it's something uh, yeah, every uh, one of those guitars has a fucking story. Oh, thanks so, so much. Too. Yeah, I, I, could, I, I could look at
0: yeah, this all day. Just, yeah, I, mean, I want to I find my aunt.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there should be a whole rack of, 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 of brown yeah, fenders. Yeah, I'm sure it's in there. You know, yeah. I know it's in there. You know, they usually were grouped by manufacturers, but not all of them, you know. I mean, you'll find it. In, I know, if they bought it, it's in there. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, this is cool. cool because man. there's all the, the fucking satellite stuff. Yeah. Wow. Uh, a couple of things I'm really surprised
0: to see. So I'm surprised to see
1: a... camouflage. camouflage 3P90. That looks like see, he has something even. Pantera. Yeah. <laughs> see that's what, I, what I'm trying to uh, tell you it's like Finish was not important, uh, right? Uh, the uh, 3 p 90 he was obsessed with 3P90s. Oh, You'll yeah. see 3P90s repeat itself time and time again. Uh, the Sadowski guitarists, a bunch of them were 3P90s. Oh, okay. Right? And uh, there's some uh, kind of stuff there. Yeah, yeah the Lux Reverb. Enjoy those a lot. Yeah, I'm telling you, you'll find your amp in there, there's some good, I wrote a thing in there about the Studio 10 guitars that we built, you know, I built them, you know, it's like, I I told him at one point, I go, like, listen, I can, you know, I go, you know, these guitars are starting to cost more and more money, right, so I built him, I built him a guitar, I built him a Telecaster, I gave it to him for his birthday, right, and he played that at every show from the time I gave it to him to the time he died. Wow. And uh, and that when when when, uh, when his wife would do it, she goes, Well, you're gonna take the birthday Kelly, aren't you? And I was thinking to myself, What well, the some the stuff I'd rather have? Because at one point he says to me, he goes like he goes, I gotta ask you this. He goes, This guitar is incredible. And you put it you made it. He goes like why are you giving it to me? I go. You should have an incredible guitar that I made, right? And he said, like, really? You could just give it up that easy? And I well, I said, well, I'll tell you the truth. I have another one. that sounds even better. <laughs> oh, he got really mad. I want that guitar. Oh, that was another thing. He played my. I have a a Florence Les Paul uh, standard. My cousin gave me the typical thing, right? He hired Peter Florence. He wanted a Les Paul standard. It took four years for the guitar to be made. Uh, By the time he got it, he had moved on. Okay. He was playing uh, Explorers, right? Because uh, they're they more fun to play sitting down. Yeah. Because yeah, he's uh, he's, a, he's a couch guitar player. Okay. He gets much better. <laughs> <laughs> he also, he had, he had a thing about vintage Marshalls and Marshall Cabs. We had them all down in his basement, uh, and he would use a wireless unit, so he could play on the couch, you could hear the amps wailing away down in the basement. Downstairs, down, down. Downstairs, right? And, uh, but, uh, Becker played it, and he goes, you gotta sell this to me. I go, I can't. He goes, what do you mean you can't? I go, it's a gift from my cousin, right? And I go, if I get a gift, I can't sell Yeah. Right? That's why I have a lot of guitars. I got a lot of gift guitars. Yeah. And uh, early on, uh, his, the first guitar tech, uh, who got me the job, says to me, he goes, never say no. Can't, if you ever say no to him, it fucks, it fucks him up.
0: <laughs>
1: you want, I'm giving it. Right. He, like he doesn't guitar? like to lose. No. Yeah. He goes, you like that guitar? I went, yeah, I do. He goes, you can have it. Ah. Right? He gave me like a... Uh, uh, an LSL uh, Mongrel that he played on the Australian tour. Uh-huh. He gave me a uh, English builder. I can't remember his name. A really good builder. He's out in the west coast. He, he said, uh, "You know, he was playing it for a while, and he goes, doesn't have a neck pickup. Like that, you know. I'm like, oh, should we put a neck pickup in? He goes, Nah, that's kind of like putting a mustache on the Mona Lisa. What do you think?"
0: And there we have it. I think that's a great quote to end on. Thank you, Walter Becker. You wouldn't want to put a mustache on the Mona Lisa. Walter sounds amazing. I feel like I've gotten to know him a little bit through Bob. And it's been great to get to know Bob. And this whole experience has been amazing. Walter's amp finding its way into my life and being able to share it with all of you. And yes, it was a noisy lunch, which resulted in a noisy episode. But you know what? It had character. And that's what counts. Moods and Modes is presented by Osiris Media, hosted and produced by yours truly, Alex Skolnick. Osiris production by Kirsten Cluthy and Matt Dwyer. Final edits and mixes by Matt Dwyer. Original music by Alex Skolnick, where you hear live musicians. That's Matt Zabrowski on the drums and Nathan Peck on the bass. Artwork by Mark Dowd. Special thanks to all our Patreon members. You can support the podcast directly by going to patreon.com slash Alex We also welcome indirect support of the podcast, which you can do by telling your friends, blogging about it, leaving us a rating or a review, and most of all, hitting that subscribe button. And that's it for episode 33. I also want to thank everyone for being so patient and understanding with the schedule. It is taking a little extra time to get these episodes done while I'm back in the throes of concert touring. But more is on the works, and we don't want you to miss an episode. And uh, we're grateful to have you as a listener. That's it for now. See you on episode 34. Take care and be safe.